Welcome to another edition of Ecclesial Thoughts with your host, Youth Pastor Austin Meisner, here on KKTY Tiger Country Radio. And we are live for our first episode of 2020. I am glad to be back in the studio, guys. Of course, this is Ecclesial Thoughts, and I'm your host, Austin Meisner. So glad to be back with you. I have had a great and wonderful uh, Christmas holiday season. If you you know you consider Christmas and New Year's, we had a wild two weeks of non-normal church services. I got a haircut, you know, presents, all of that fun stuff. And you know, now with Missouri, you know, cranking up its craziness to having bunches of different weather and one whole weekend. You know, tornadoes to flash flooding to icy streets and snow. We are definitely ringing in the new year uh, quick and fast. So, welcome back. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm excited. We've got quite a few new sponsors. So let me run through our list because uh, we do thank them. We we appreciate the opportunity that we have uh, to promote them, and they give us an opportunity uh, to be on the air. And so, without further ado, we have Better Homes and Gardens, Southwest Group, um, realtors here in Republic, Missouri. We also have Cards and Stripes Games. They are over at 1206 U.S. Highway 60 East. They are by Purple Burrito and Classic Rock Coffee. You can't miss them. Awesome card shop, as well as board games. They've got things like Catan, uh, Magic, all sorts of stuff. Uh, you should go check them out, especially if you have a uh, family, because you can get some good card games there uh, to enjoy with them. Uh, our light, last sponsor that we had of last year was Troy's Workshop, which is custom CNC woodworking. Uh, you can check him out at troysworkshop.com, and you can see what he can make for you there. Um, we've given away a couple of custom-made signs from there, I believe, in the last couple weeks. Um, we've also got three new ones this year. We've got efficiency or efficient integrations, which is an automotive sound and security company. They can install, um, you know, remote starts. They can give you an upgrade to your sound system and the like in your vehicle. You can find them at uh, in Republic, Missouri, and you can just give them a call at 417-986-5560 and check out what they can do for you there. Also, DM Graphics. You can get all of your graphics needs met. Find him online at facebook.com backslash Donovan dot M-A-L-D-O-N-A-D-O. Maldonado, if I pronounce that correctly. And then last but not least, our last sponsor is Methodist Manor, a senior living community in Marionville, Missouri. And we thank and appreciate all of our sponsors and so for this year, I know last year was kind of a rambling show, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but over the, the season, uh, you know, just the holiday season, I was really looking to try to streamline and uh, get a better way of doing things. Um, not a New Year's resolution or anything, but just so that we can um, be normal. I don't know, be on, be on a regular basis. That, I, that way I know every single week it's not like, hey, what am I going to talk about this week? I, I already have a set. And so this year, um, 
it, we're doing a year-long program, more or less. Um, we are going to be going through, you know, with the show's name being Ecclesial Thoughts, uh, we are going to be going through the doctrines of the church. And we're going to be using a resource, and I would, uh, you can, I would encourage you guys to actually go and pick it out because it's a very short, especially if you're a Bible teacher. Uh, this is incredibly helpful. I super enjoy it. I've only read the first couple of chapters of it. Um, it is called the it's called Fifty Core Truths of the Christian Faith, and it's by Greg R. Allison. And what he does is he whereas a systematic theology textbook is incredibly thick. Um, you know, we're talking seven, eight, you know, sometimes over a thousand pages long. What we see here in this book, and I in incredibly enjoy, is the fact that it's really short. So for maybe we don't have time to read all of what can go on and all of the back and forth inside the sch scholastic universe in regards to a doctrine. This gives a very, you know, it is from a more reformed um bent theologically um i'm just gonna you know write up and say that that's pretty conservative so uh if that's not something to your thing i would still encourage you to read it because i don't just read things that are on my side of the aisle i mean i'm a baptist i read things from read stuff and interact with ideas from hardcore presbyterians and more reformed people than i am uh, that challenge me and i also obviously in the culture we live in i interact with um, the left, so to speak. You know, I, I interact with those who are on the opposite side of my spectrum, totally, who don't believe the Bible is the Word of God and believe it's fallible and all of these other things. I interact with that, I mean, just because of the culture that we're in. And so that's what we're going to be working through. And we also have a new time, uh, according to my guide here, we are now showing eight on uh, at 8 o'clock, not showing, uh, airing at eight o'clock on Wednesday nights. Not a different day, just a different night. And what what that you know, it just allows more people to get out of church uh, and see and hear us. So, what are we going to talk about tonight? We are going to talk about the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. Now, there is in other circles a larger debate about how to tackle any theology aspect do we get theology only from scripture um do we get theology because of who god is and all of these things but because the the best thing that we have since we don't live with jesus is the bible i mean we we trust the scriptures because what they tell us is what god has spoken over the centuries and in this recent time, uh, you know, recent being 2,000 years ago, what Jesus Christ had to say and how it applies to us. And so our first, when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture as a core doctrine, the basic meaning of the doctrine is that God is the ultimate author of Scripture. Now, you may be jumping ahead and saying, hey, but didn't so-and-so, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, they did, and we'll get there. But what we have to, as Christians, or what somebody will have to come to believe if they become a Christian, is that God is the overall author of all of Scripture. He told them what to say, and sort of, he guided them in their personalities and what to say. You know, we have the things called the Ten Commandments, right? Where we know that God said this. 
We have passages of scripture where he dictated certain things to prophets or, hey, you're going to write this down and give it to these people. The book of Revelation is a great example of that in the New Testament. God is saying, uh, you know, say these things to the seven churches. And then John is going to send those letters to the seven churches. Or more specifically, we know that Jesus said very specific things. And that was recorded by the disciples. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's quotations from you know the Red Letter Bible. If you if you guys are familiar with that, or I only pay attention to the Red Letters, right? Those are the quotations of Jesus, and so we know to a, a varying degree that there are things that are exactly from the authority of God, the authorship of God. He is who was giving it, and so we're going to talk about all of that tonight, and, and hopefully the next twenty so. 20 or so minutes, um, maybe a little bit quicker. We'll see. So now where do we get this idea? It's not a man-made idea whatsoever. We get this idea that Scripture is – God is the author of Scripture from the Scriptures themselves. And it get, takes place all the way in the book of 2 Timothy. In, chapter, in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, the scripture in Second Timothy takes place within the first century. You know, there are varying dates for when this could have been written. We know it was written before Paul was executed in Rome, so he would have wrote it from Rome, sent it to Timothy, so that he can um, get what he what he wanted to tell his disciple um, to do, uh, and so what we have is all the way back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis, the oldest book of the Bible, uh, or the the chronological book of the first book of the Bible, right? You know, there's some people who and scholars who have found that Job is probably the first writ, wrote book of the Bible. And, you know, you guys might be wondering, well, what does Job have to do with any of this? No matter how far back Scripture goes, whether you're talking about chronologically, topically, so like, you know, Genesis deals with the beginning of the earth, and Adam and Eve, and Noah, and all the the chronicles of everything that happens from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses— you know, Moses doesn't appear till Exodus, but, you know, he's he, he is directly coming out of the book of Genesis. So chronologically, that's why Genesis, you know, is in the Pentateuch first, and that's why we read it first, right? Job is, is what we consider wisdom literature, and we can see different aspects of it that really Job was probably wrote somewhere during, if, if I do do have my memory correct, somewhere during, during the Noah, Noah, Noahonic can't pronounce things tonight, Noahic Covenant, or maybe sometime in the time of the Abrahamic Covenant. So after the flood is when generally people believe that was wrote. You know, now Moses, we believe, wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Job was, we don't know who the author was, we can guess that it was Job, but it's about Job, and a lot of it's in third person, so we're not sure who wrote that. So, Regardless, the point of it is that from whatever the oldest book is 
or if you just want to go easily and say Genesis all the way, at least up to 2 Timothy, Paul believes is God-breathed scripture. And how do I know that the New Testament falls into that category? A, because a lot of those scriptures were already in circulation at that time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John were already in circulation at that time. Paul has actually, in his letters, quoted other New Testament books already at that point. They weren't books yet, but he has already quoted them. So we know that those are in existence. And so with that being said, he considers those even scriptures. Now, a common objection to the authority and inspiration of the scriptures is the fact that people, um, you know, kind of say, well, the Catholic councils determined what was in there, right? They said that these books are in, these books are out, uh, you know, movies like the Da Vinci Code do not help that case uh, because we have and we know, we can see what was in circulation at the time, what was accepted as gospel, to, to use a phrase there, and what wasn't. And we can also even line up the style of writing in the epistles and the gospels to see how they differ to other apocryphal texts and how different they are. And so we have to be very careful about that. So when we say that we believe all of Scripture is inspired by God, we have to believe it, but that does not mean we're just anybody that says th this is Scripture is Scripture. For instance, there's a, there's a third book, or not a third book, sorry, there is a third letter to the Corinthians. We don't have it. Does that mean it's Scripture? No. Or else God would have superintended it so that that Scripture would have survived. Right? So not everything the Apostle Paul wrote, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote, was intended to be Scripture, even if it's referenced in other letters. right? And so we must be careful. But we also, as evangelicals and most Christians, believe that the 66 books of the Bible are the final canon. And we're going to talk about the canon of Scripture in a couple of weeks in more detail. Um, so, now what we should... Uh, Another common mistake that we see is uh, there are also people who make the mistake of saying, well, okay, well, the 66 books, they're in, but they're only really inspired in the things that matter. So the red letters of Jesus or things that only pertain to salvation and judgment, those are the only important things. The genealogies aren't correct. The histories don't matter. Uh, the commentary on whether how they believe the earth was created doesn't matter it's not important um and that's a foul that's a, that's a, a logical fallacy to say well some of it is okay but some of it's not because as soon as you say some of it is and some of it isn't how do you trust the stuff that is and if you were able to give the same proof for the stuff that is as the same stuff that isn't that would mean they would have to equal each other out and they would have to both either be is or isn't you can't have a mix in there it has to be all or nothing, or else you just start pulling threads out of the tapestry of Scripture, and you're missing things and all of this other stuff. So, when the Bible talks about a subject, right, so history, narrative, uh, or other stuff, we must take it seriously. Now, that's not to say that the Bible is a textbook. Just because it's inspired by God does not mean it is a textbook to teach us all things. So your tech, you know, it's not a textbook on how to build an airplane. 
or it's not a textbook on um, anthropology, you know, things that it deals with. But what we should say is that we we do need to realize that if it is inspired by God and God in his character cannot lie and that he's always truthful and that he's always good and he's infallible then the things that he says has to also be those things because the words out of our mouth are only the things that are really in our heart as the scriptures say what out of the wellspring of your heart is the outflow of the mouth and so if that is the case for God, if we apply that same scripture to him, which I think we can, then anything out of the mouth of, of Jesus and anything out of the mouth of God must, and the Holy Spirit for that matter, must conform to their own character, the, the standards that they have already set. And I realize, you know, that that's a, a br huge, broad brush to be painting there. So, but if if we know for a fact that God is truth and God is love, then His His words are true and His words are loving, no matter what, no matter what the subject is, they are true and they are loving, right? And so, when you know, just just so you guys out there know, there's the whole flat Earth movement going on, and a lot of people like to use the Bible, and I don't subscribe to it. Like, and we can, ha you know, there's plenty of creation ministries that I follow, and I'm not entirely super well read into the subject, but I'm decently well read. And, you know, they take that stance that God's word is true, down to the word. And I believe it's down to the word, too, uh, and the phrasing and all of these other things. But it's we, we must take it seriously. And what, if what God says is true, it's going to conform to what we actually see. What we see is going to conform to God's word. And, and so when we see history, we see God's word say something. This has happened so many times in this, just in the 20th century alone, in the, in the 1900s, of where the Bible will have said something. People are like, well, that couldn't have happened. And then they find a discovery that backs up the Bible in the Middle East. It's like, okay, yeah, we believe it's true. So, that's that's an aside so i just want you guys to realize that and we can we can say this from another part of scripture scripture backs up this claim that no matter what the scripture is talking about god is the author whether it's history or whatnot if we go to uh the, the book of second peter uh chapter 1 verse 21 it says for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit so when we say prophecy there, so obviously we can look at the face value of the word prophecy, and when we see that in the Old Testament, we think of prophets and their judgment on Israel, right? So we can say that none of those prophets were acting on their own will as far as what they were saying. They were not saying, I am going to judge. They are saying, God is going to judge, and the Holy Spirit is leading, and kings and nations recognize that. Let's look at the book of Daniel. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar realized that Daniel was a prophet from God. He was a disciple of God who was doing incredible things that nobody else could do. You know, uh, and so we must realize that when people are speaking for God, when scriptures who are speaking for God say something, it is from him. So the Chronicles, the Kings, um, the Wisdom Books, the, the the major and minor prophets, the Pentateuch, all of it, you know, it comes from God. And then especially once we get to the New Testament, 
It all comes from the mouth of God in one way or another. So with that, we have to realize that if it comes from the mouth of God, there's a human mediator between it and the pad and pin, or, you know, the hammer and chisel and piece of stone in the, in the, in the case of the Ten Commandments or before they had paper, right? So this comes up to an issue of how did God do it? Did he just override the people's personalities? Did he just dictate to Moses what he was supposed to say? What about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And like I was saying earlier, he uses their personalities. And we know that there are times where Scripture has been dictated to the, the, the person writing. Just look at Leviticus. There is a whole book of laws. Moses just didn't make it up, right? Those laws are from God, right? And that's what he wanted Israel to obey, such as the Ten Commandments. There's other things where it has been, you know, write this, like I said to the, about the letters to the uh, seven churches. But that does not mean that they were just robots. We see different styles. For instance, we see the historical books talk about David, and then we have an instance where David is writing scripture in the Psalms, and they all sound different. Why? Because there's different emotions. We see David writing Psalms when he's repenting and, and broken. We see Psalms when he's happy, Psalms when he's sad, Psalms when he's on the run from King Saul. Um, this, the book Song of Solomon is all about courting and uh, marriage and love and you know the joy of what sex will be or is, depending on how you view it. Some people view it as is or will be. Um, and so realistically, what we have to do is recognize that just because Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, David, um, the writers of the, the Chronicles, the Moses, Joshua, they were writing it. They had their own personality. They, they were, did not become robots. This is called the, oh man, and I'm losing my, my brain here. I want to say it's the, the continuity of, it's not the continuity of Scripture, um, but it's God and man. It's synergistic. It's God and man working in such a way that God is, is guiding, but that it is not overriding. Just like all of our actions on a day-to-day -day basis, it is not, God has his providence, and he knows what's going to happen, and he directs things to happen, but he does not do it in such a way that we become robots. That's the whole issue with predestination, is that sometimes we feel, you know, when we look at it from a cold standpoint, that God is just making decisions for us, and we don't make our own decisions ultimately. But I don't think it, it can be that way, or else our scriptures would have to be that way. You know, and so we can see that God works through us. He works through the emotions. He works through the different things. When we look at... Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can see the different audiences that each of them were, were were writing towards. And God intended for those scriptures to be used for those audiences. You know, whether it's Jewish, Gentile, mixed, whatever, we know that those audiences were different. Um, so enough said on that, on personality style. We... You may be asking, if you've been in church for a while, where does Jesus fit into this? What did he think? Luckily, we have scriptures that answer that question. Jesus in Matthew 9, chapter 19, verse 4 and 5 says, He answered, he being Jesus, Have you not read 
that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because it comes out of the book of Genesis. So here we have a definitive proof that Jesus believed the Pentateuch of the Bible to be written by God. And this doesn't even take into account the numerous occasions where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees or talking to other people and says, have you not, does it not say, there we go, yeah, is it not written X, Y, Z? He was basically assuming that his audience was familiar with the scriptures and assumed the scriptures were inspired by God. Is it not written that blah, 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 right? Here, we know that Jesus believes the book of Genesis was, and so therefore we must, as Christians, believe the book of Genesis as an inspired word of God. We can't get around it. He quotes Genesis multiple times about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If, if you know, So there's no getting around of to say, oh, well, Genesis is just a creation story. Well, if it was, then why, if it's just a story, then why would Jesus back it up? Jesus is the word of God. He cannot tell any lies. He, he is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. None may come to the Father before me. Right? I just don't see how we get around it. So we know Scripture is Scripture. Scripture is inspired by God. So we've discussed, you know, what Paul and the apostles and how they've used the inspiration of Scripture in their life. We've seen what Jesus says about Scripture and his belief that it is inspired. So what I want to do is I want to, you know, I'm going to read a quote out of page 13 in the book for you guys because I thought it was really, really good. And then we're going to talk about how we practically use this, this doctrine and why it's important. It says, because Scripture is God-breathed, it is divinely authoritative. The church is called to do what it commands, avoid doing what it prohibits, heed its warnings, believe its promises, and so forth. Also inspired, Scripture is completely truthful. The church is called to trust everything that it affirms. This is the case when Scripture addresses matter of salvation, faith, and obedience, holy living, and worshiping God. It is likewise the case when it treats matters of history, creation, and God's providence, genealogies, and more. All scripture is God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because non-Christians do not yet trust Christ, trust Jesus Christ for salvation, the church engages missionally, but communicates the gospel to them. It believes that the word of God breathed out by him is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1.16 As people become believers, the church disciples and cares for them by preaching and teaching inspired scriptures. Everything the church does must come out of the scriptures, and that is why the inspiration, the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture, is bedrock. If scripture is fallible, because as a fallible author, and we'll get to the infallibility of Scripture, I believe, next week, then we cannot trust it. And therefore, we should make no decisions based 
on Scripture. But if the author is the king of the universe, if the author is the Lord of life, the one who created everything, who knows all things, who knows the number of hairs on your head, who knows what decisions you are going to make before you make them, then we must obey. As a believer in Christ, just as it says, we must heed its warnings. We must believe its promises. One of the coolest things that I'm doing this year in my devotional time is I've got this cool prom- book that I bought at a conference last year. It's called The Promises of God. And each day it walks through a scripture that has a promise of God. And then the whole premise is that all of our, all of God's promises are ours is yes and amen in Christ. And so, therefore, when God promises something, it is also ours. Now, there's some exegetical work that has to be done, and luckily it's done by a good pastor, and it makes sense to me um, how he's pulling these promises and how it applies to the Christian. And so, why would I believe those promises? Like, this is a promise a day for 365 days. You know, there's 366 this year, so you know I'll probably have to reread one page or something. But to read the promises of God and realize that he is a true and loving God that can do anything. And if he promises something, as Jesus says, if you who know how to go- give good gifts cannot my Father give even better ones. That's a terrible paraphrase of that passage. Just saying. Um, but the, the premise stands. God. I can't if I can't believe his promises, what can I believe? If I can't believe the promise that there is going to be a judgment, if I can't promise that in Genesis 3:15 that there's going to be a Messiah coming forward and that it is going to be crushed. You know, Jesus did that on the cross, but it's not finished yet. He he defeated Satan and he is coming back to finish the job at the end of time. That's a promise. Taken straight out of the book of Genesis. So the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture should give you Christian confidence in your church to ask all of these questions. Is what we're doing in church scriptural? Is how I'm living my life scriptural? Am I doing the things that God commands? Am I believing in the promises of God? Am I having anxiety when I shouldn't have? Am I preaching the gospel to other people, not like pastors on a regular basis, but am I preaching to people, telling them about who Jesus is? Because Matthew 28, the Great Commission, tells us we are supposed to. That is why the inspiration of Scripture is important, because if it is not inspired by a holy and living God, then why would we even mess with it? Well, that's a heavy note to end on, and I realize that, but it's because it's important. Now, you guys may hear me get heated as we do that because I do. Like, I I just, I love doctrine. Why do I love doctrine? Because it brings me, as you guys can hear, it, it literally comes into life. There's no way to have doctrine and not have it impact your life. If you have doctrine and it's not impacting your life, you don't understand the doctrine. And doctrine is just a fancy word for teaching. So if you if you understand who Jesus is, but it doesn't impact how you live, then you don't really understand who Jesus is. 
And just walking through the promises of God is like watering my soul to a degree that I haven't realized before. Because, yes, I can read through the Bible, and I have multiple times, and I get stuff out of it every time I read it. But really rooting myself this year in the promises of God and believing that because it's scripture, not like a name it, claim it, prosperity gospel thing, but this is the word of God promising things that I can take to the bank. It is, it is so awesome. And so as we're walking through doctrine this year, guys, I would just pray and I hope that you guys have the opportunity to, to take these moments of reflection and these moments of practical use and say, yeah, I can do that. So without further ado, thank you guys very much. I can't wait to, to continue guys with you. Be praying for us. We got a baby on the way in February, and that might change my schedule a little bit. But uh, glad to be back, and we will see you next week.